Good morning, church family. <laughs> you guys don't know I got moves. I got moves. I got moves. Uh, if you don't know who I am, <laughs> my, I'm the lead rapper. I mean the lead pastor here at Connect Church. <laughs> I want to welcome you guys to Connect. Are you guys happy to be in church today? Amen. What an incredible worship experience and exciting to see all those young children being raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, you know, I'm just still kind of having a little flashback to the end of worship and thinking about that song, you know, uh, making room for the Lord. How many are ready to make some room for God today in your heart? Amen. As we receive the word, can you, can you make a little room? Let's pray. Let's, let's go before the Lord and let's ask him to speak to us through his word. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, not because closing your eyes makes you more spiritual, but it does help you focus. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I don't take it lightly. Uh, we get to express the incorruptible truths of God's word. But we know, many of us know, many of us experience the power of the word of God to literally renew our minds, to change the course and trajectory of our lives because the word of God is living and active if we live and act on it. So help us, Lord God, to receive the word. Be receivers because we're, we have teachable spirits, Lord. And we're receptive to the wisdom that's from above. It's peaceable. It's easily entreated. We receive the word of God today. We open our hearts. We're ready for you, what you want to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Turn to your second choice say, you ready, you ready? I don't know. Still, still uncertain. Hey, I want to welcome all our online viewers. Can you say hello to our online viewers right now? Sometimes all over the world, we're so thankful that you're with us today. God bless you. God bless you. We're so glad. Um, listen, we're starting a new series. You just saw it a second ago, a little, little bebop, uh, you know, intro there. And, uh, you know, the reason for this is this time of year, this particular season that we're getting ready to go into has uh, sometimes a lot of activity. You know, we're all running around pretty soon. You know, we've got Thanksgiving right around the corner, you know, um, the food coma holiday. And, uh, you know, the blowout football games, right? We've never actually seen a good football game on Thanksgiving, right, ever. They're all blowouts. Um, and, and then right after that, we turn the corner, and then it's just Christmas parties and Christmas shopping and Christmas decorating. How many already decorated your house Christmas? Decorated your house already Okay, two people. Okay, praise <laughs> the Lord. How many bought Christmas presents already? Okay, a few sick people in the room. You're all sick. You're all sick in the head <laughs> buying Christmas presents already. No, I'm just kidding. That's amazing. That's amazing. Amazon Prime. Praise the Lord. All right. Um, but, it, but, but some of us, we feel blessed during the holiday season. Some of us feel stressed. And we give, when, you, when you add to the, the current economic times, depending on how you look at those, it, it can increase stress for people. And so this particular series, this little mini-series we're going to go into over the next couple of weeks, is dedicated to just kind of zooming out and removing a lot of that stress that people carry at this particular season, this particular time of the year. Are you with me, everybody? And so that, that's my heart for this particular series. That's what I want for you. In addition to that, I, I want to just, I didn't do this in the last service, but I want to say at the very outset, I believe there's a spiritual resistance to this particular subject because it has so much potential to change lives. Uh, one, one of the things, one of the signs, one of the symptoms of spiritual growth in my opinion in my experience growing up is two things. One, learning to be led by the Spirit, Spirit-filled life. And also, the second one is learning to trust God with our resources. Those two things. When I see people walking and living in those two areas, those two realms, those two lanes, it's amazing how unshakable and immovable they are because of that. But it's the two areas that people have the hardest time to trust. Trust the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me instead of me leading and guiding me and trusting God with our resources instead of him leading us and guiding us. I'm going to decide and I'm going to determine where my resources go. And so I just want to say at the outset, you know, we ask God to make room. Did, did you let him? Did you really mean it when you said it? Because today has the potential to change your life. Are you with me, everybody? So we're in a series, and I called it Common Sense because my daddy used to say this, and I have a lot of daddy-isms this, 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 this month um, because of his uh, graduation to heaven. But when daddy would, would get around me and we talk about money, he taught me a lot about money. And he would basically say, first of all, common sense isn't so common anymore. We've heard that phrase before. But I kind of have a plan where it's common sense, C-E-N-T-S, 
isn't that common either. In other words, God's view of money isn't so common in Christianity, and I want to make it more common, more understood, more embraced. Are you with me? And there's a perspective that we're going to need. And, and, and we got to kind of see things through God. If we have the right view, you'll have, you'll have right outcomes. And one of the things that I think sometimes happens a lot of times is we don't, we, we, we think all of this is ours and we're going to be able to, you know, hold on to it forever. I heard this story about a, a wealthy businessman and uh, he was an atheist and he, um, super wealthy and he married this woman who later gave her life to Jesus and when she gave her life to Jesus she the term is born again when she got born again her whole heart changed in fact I believe we're born selfish but we're born again to be generous for God so loved the world he he gave right and so a byproduct of true conversion is you want to be generous now some of us don't know are are in bondage we don't know how to be generous we got to break free from some stuff but I believe when you're saved you're, you're, you're born to be generous. So she, she wanted to be generous, but her husband's like, no, 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 I'm not going to have all that. I'm not going to let you be in all philanthropic in the community. I'm not going to let you be all generous in the church. That's a waste. That's a waste. But he got sick. Later on, he got sick, and his, his end of life was approaching, and he told his wife, when I die, you have to promise me that you'll let all my money go with me into the afterlife. <laughs> so suddenly, this atheist became some kind of a believer, you know what I mean, when it came to his money, you know? And that's funny. I don't care what you say. But, but she's like, okay, honey, okay, with a little smirk, a little smile, a little, tingle, little twinkle in her eye. And, and so, so the day comes, he, he passes, he transitions, and, and, and there's a service. It's a, it's a funeral service, and there's an open casket, and everybody's passing by, and, and everybody's gone, and the wife's the last to go. And as she goes up, she puts something right on top of him. They close the casket. She goes back to her seat, and her best friend says, please tell me you didn't do what I just thought you did. She's like, I most certainly did. She said, I moved all of his money from his account to my account, and then I wrote him a check, and if he can cash it, he can have it. (laughs) Yes, you heard that here. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Here's my point. You can't take all this stuff with you. You can't take any of it with you. You're not going to go from here to heaven with a hearse filled with all your resources. Are you with me? First Chronicles chapter 29, our theme text says it like this, verse 10 and 11. It talks about how big and how awesome God is. Praise be to you, O Lord God, our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. You're, you're, you're large and in charge. Yours is the glory and the majesty and the splendor. But look at this last part of the verse. It says, for everything in heaven, look at this, and earth is... Come on, say it out loud. Is yours. Everything belongs to God. Every single thing on this, in heaven and on earth, belongs to God. And so it's not common sense for us to think that way. Our tendency is to think that it's my stuff, but actually it's his stuff. And all the stuff you got is on loan. It's all on loan. Now, if you believe, like I believe, that God is the creator, he's the He's the master of the universe. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. If you believe, like I believe, that 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 in fact is true, then you should also believe that if it's his, that I should steward his stuff really well. If you believe it's his, it will affect everything you see and everything you do with all of that stuff. Are you tracking, everybody? Say amen. Amen. Okay? And so the Bible says it like, here, let me first say this. He sees you, if you see it that way, as a steward or a manager. They're really the same thing. What's a steward, Pastor? What's a manager? A steward or manager, simple definition, is one who grows and fiercely protects that which belongs to someone else. So God, it's all his, but he allows you to use it for a, on loan, temporarily, for a season. And what his expectation is, is that you would grow it. And that you would protect it. You would make the best use of it. Are you with me? But it's not yours. It's not yours. And so the big idea for this particular series really is this. How you view it will determine how you use it. How you view all of that that's not yours, that's his, is going to influence how you use it. This perspective thing is a huge part of biblical finance, of biblical stewardship, of seeing resources right. Because if you think it's yours, 
Well, then you're going to spend it however you want to spend it. You're going to spend it with your interest in mind, not the interest of the owner. If I, now I have, uh, 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 and if you had resources that you chose to invest, I hope that we'll have a value system that reflects uh, God's word, where we give, where we, where we save. It's like kind of like God first, you second, others, okay? You want to save, definitely. When you save, when you invest, you would turn money over to someone if you had a certain wherewithal, and you would say to that, to that manager, to that financial advisor, hey, I want you to grow this. I want you to protect this. And if they didn't do a good job, what would you do? You'd fire their butts, right? I'm just saying God looks at us the same way. Everything in heaven and earth is his. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. And he's looking to you and me to say, how are you managing or how are you stewarding that which I've given you? Now, this particular topic, whenever I talk about it, by the way, I love to talk about this topic. I'm, I'm weird that way. Most pastors don't like to talk about money and they don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, the reason I like talking about it and it's not this way in every area, so I'm not bragging on me. I'm boasting on God. It's because I'm free in this area. Money does not control me. My wife's in this room, my, my literal in-person truth serum. <laughs> so if I was lying, she'd call me on it, okay? But I'm just telling you, I'm free in this particular area. God set me free. And, and when you have an experience with God in a particular area it, that's so profound, so transformational, you can't help but want to talk about it and share it with a certain conviction and passion. So I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. It's like I have a cure to cancer, and I'm trying to give you the cure to your cash money issues or to your struggles or to your, to your pressures or to your anxieties or to your preoccupations. I believe in this with all my heart. I just want you to know that as your pastor. And if you're here for the first time, I'm just simply saying, if this is the first time you came and we're talking about money and we just confirmed your suspicions about churches... That all they ever talk about is your? That's not the case. This is the first time I've talked about it all flipping year. Okay? But, I, but, I, but, I, but it's necessary that we talk about it from time to time. Amen? Are you with me? Now, one of the reasons, so getting that out of the way, one of the reasons is that there's, there's a tension is because money is spiritual. I'm going to spend some time on this. Money is spiritual. Listen, the money in your wallet, in your checkbook, some of you young people, you might not know what a check is. It's this little <laughs> blue thing you write on. It's got some numbers on the bottom. No? No, no. Okay. Anyway, but the money in your checkbook, the money in your wallet has a spirit on it. Depending on how you use it determines the spirit that's on it. Money is spiritual, and money has spiritual implications. Some people think, yeah, that's right. Money's bad. No, nah, the Bible doesn't say money's bad. In fact, in 1 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 10, look at it on the screen. 1 Timothy 6, 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. So money's not evil, right? Money's neutral. Money's not evil. Money, the love of money, the pursuit of money, the passion for money, the preoccupation. Guys, just, just think about this. God is not interested in your occupation. He's interested in your preoccupation. He's interested in what you're thinking about, what you're obsessed with, what you're preoccupied with, what ultimately you are worshiping, what you're bowing down to. What am I bowing to? I can tell you if I just looked at the first five checks in your checkbook register or your online, or your online register. Are you with me? It's spiritual. So it's not evil. It's not, it's not bad. But it's just the love of it is bad. And so God's basically saying, hey, you can have stuff, Derek, but does stuff have you? Does it possess you? Does it control you? Now, I like what the Bible says in Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read in verse 13. And I'm going to be reading it from the New King James Version because there's different translations of the Bible for lack of a little teaching on this. But some translations are what we call word-for-word -word translations, like a study translation. And some are called our thought-for-thought. And the New King James is a word-for-word, -word, which basically means it's more literal, it's more accurate. And the New King James uses a word that's different than you might read in your New Living or NIV as an example. But it says this. It says, Jesus speaking, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. He cannot serve both God and what's the word? Mammon. Now, if you're reading from the New Living or the NIV, it'll say 
money. It'll say you can't serve God and you can't serve money. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying a better translation is God and money. Because money is, excuse me, God and mammon. Money is neutral. Mammon is not. Mammon is a spirit. And I'm trying to get you to see something very clearly here. This particular uh, translation is revealing to us, uh, Jesus is trying to tell us that, that you cannot serve God and this demon spirit, Mammon. Mammon was, back in the Old Testament, the Syrian god of money. And actually, people would literally bow down and worship it to become wealthy. Now, we are not literally bowing down to a Syrian god, but we are figuratively, or in our practice, we are bowing down to a Syrian god, the god of mammon. And if we are serving mammon, we cannot be serving God. Okay, so we need to learn, then what does it look like to serve mammon versus what does it look like to serve God? If, if you, you can, in other words, you can't say you're fully devoted to God and fully surrendered to God, but at the same time, you are putting another God ahead of that, right? We know that. We know that from his word. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, it says in the book of Exodus. But mammon's goal, this is how you begin to know, mammon's goal is control. Jesus used this word because he was trying to get us to see some. It's not just money I'm, I'm worried about. It's the spirit of money. It's the spirit on the money. It's, this, it's a false god. And that false god wants to control you. Wants to control the way you see things, wants to control your view of, of money, wants to control your view and preoccupation with prosperity. It wants to control the way you see the world, the way you see riches, the, your economic uh, definitions, all of that. And you can't follow that and follow me. It's quiet in this Catholic church. I just want to go on record. Uh, wow. Okay. So I want you to see money is neutral, but there can be a spirit on money. Money is neutral. But it can be controlled by either God or the spirit of mammon. One has an agenda for God and for you that is good. One has an agenda from the enemy and is not for you. The devil's agenda in John chapter 10 verse 10 is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the ultimate goal of the enemy. And he'll use his little minions to try to bring apart, bring and separate you from him. Are you with me? And so if you're, if you're following God... You will worship God and use money. If you're following mammon, you'll use, you'll, you'll use God and worship money. You see that? That's, the that's how you can differentiate. One comes before the other. Now, my dad used to teach me that money's a tool. It's just a tool. It's, it's neutral. And, and what we do with it is going to change. Your, your, your view of it, again, determines how you use it. So money's a tool. He used to also teach me it's a trademark. Money is a trademark. It shows to whom you belong. I can tell you what's important to you by how you spend your money. It's also a test, which we'll talk about at the end. But this tool, how we view it, determines how we use it, is very, very important. So how do you know if money is being used the wrong way in your life? Or how do you know if you're worshiping God or you're worshiping mammon? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Here, here, here's, here's a way to kind of Put it in a question. How do you know which one is first? Let me, let me put it like this. What would make your life better? If you, when you answer the question, and if you're honest and you're truly sincere, and if you do an inventory on your soul, and you said, what would make my life better? More money or more of God? That will help you know which one is first. Which one is top dog in your life? Are you with me? So I, I, if you think more money... Uh, is going to solve your problem, then it's an indication of which God that you are serving. And it can, money can, and if you're not careful, it will, it's subtle, it'll take the first position of God in your life. This is a very strong, false God. And it promises you security. It promises you a salary. It promises you significance. This particular God talks to you personally. You're going to be much happier if you get more of this. Things will go better for you if you, if you get more of this. Things are, your anxiety, your fears, your worry, if you have that nest egg put away, you're going to be totally secure. This, this spirit talks. I need you to know that. It's a spirit and it speaks. 
And it tells us that we need more of this. But I'm here to tell you and go on record, you need more of God. And that God is your source. And he is your supplier. And he is your true employer. And he is the one who owns it all. Everything belongs to God. And you need to put your trust wholeheartedly in him. And it should manifest in your decisions and your lifestyle. Now, some people are like skeptic about this, and, 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 and I don't know how to penetrate all of that, but, but my wife and I have been practicing these biblical principles for over 30 years of our life. So I'm not saying something to you that I don't do myself. I, I couldn't talk like this. I'd be an absolute facade and fake if I didn't believe what I'm telling you right now. So I don't want something from you. I des- I, I'm telling you I want something for you. This is one of the most important subjects in my pastorate, Literally. If I, had, if, I had a, if I had to pick like five messages, if I had five weeks left to the rest of my life, this would be one of the messages that I would preach to you because I know it can change lives that much. Yeah. I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. I want to go on record. And our church doesn't need anything from you. This isn't about getting more money for the church. Can I, I, some people would tell me, don't say that. Don't say what you're about to say. Don't tell them that because if you do that, then they won't do this. Listen, we are more blessed this year than we were last year as a church. Our giving is up 13% year over year, okay? Honestly, we're more secure than, than I can ever remember in the ministry, ever. But I feel more weight to do more for God because of that, because it's all his and it's not mine. That means I got to do more for him, not less. I need, to be, I need to fiercely protect it, grow it, and be a good steward that can't wait to be radically generous and sacrificially giving. Are you with me, everybody? So we're blessed. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to give you a giving update. December 4th, right here, I'll stand on the stage, and I'll tell you what we did as a church, what some of you, not all of you, but some of you did last year. It's amazing. It's amazing. My goal is to give away a million dollars a year, okay? And we're not far from that. That's going to happen, okay? That day's coming. And so this is not, this is not about me. This is not about us. And by the way, this isn't my church. This is our church. And so I give to our church, and you give to your church. This is our church, everybody. But this is more about you. What is God saying to you through this message? Are you with me? So I just think it would be wrong if I taught all the other aspects of the Bible. Think about this if you're resistant to what I'm saying still, because I'm coming for you. I'm coming for bodies, as my son says. I'm just going to go a little bit longer on some of you. I'm working you. I'm, you're, we're doing the rope-a-dope right now, okay? You're in the corner, and I'm coming. Listen, why would I teach all these other subjects in the Bible and then I would just avoid this one? I tell you why we'd avoid it because we're afraid of what you think, okay? We're afraid of what you think. And I'm not. I'm no longer afraid of what you think. I'm afraid not to tell you what God thinks about this and what it will do to you if you don't know it. Amen? Are you with me? So the Bible's got, you know, 2,300 verses related to possessions and, and resources. And it's, it's like 10 to 1. You know, that's that particular number of verses to the subject of salvation, okay? So it's a, big, it's a big deal in the Bible. The Bible's not shy about this thing. So God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. But there is a connection between right here and right here. And I'm not talking about your blessed assurance. I'm talking about your wallet, okay? There's a connection, and he knows it. You, you, he can't have all of this if he doesn't have a piece of this. That could be a message right there. He can't have all this unless he has a... Anyway, I don't know how they'll... How would, a, how would they do a skit for that? That would be really interesting, okay? But the problem with mammon is it desires to control your life. It desires to steal your joy. It desires to corrupt your, des- your desires. It desires to steal your heart, ultimately, even your soul. People, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, we read it early, have even wandered from the faith. So it doesn't just hurt you now. It can hurt you eternally. If this spirit continues to get control in your life. So we got to see resources, right? So God provides a solution. Everybody say solution. And it's a super simple system. Everybody say simple system. And it's summarized in one word, which some of you are going to love and some of you are not going to like. And the word is the tithe. Everybody say the tithe. I'm going to go there. Everybody ready? This particular thing purifies your heart, cleanses you. It enables God to entrust you with more, and he knows because of this simple system that you employ, he can give you more, and that more will not ruin you. That's what happens when you become a tither. And I can say, and I can say this with conviction. The kingdom of God will not advance if the church doesn't get a grasp of how he sees resources. 
We have to see it like he sees it. I don't know if you know this, but, but gold is not just going to show up on the front lawn of the church. People aren't just going to just drop their accounts, you know, right, right, right outside the door. It doesn't work like that. What God does is when you follow his ways, he blesses you. Then you hear from God, and then you in turn are a blessing to him through his agency, through the things that are important to him. Are you with me? He works it through you. He doesn't just give it from heaven to here. I wish he did because it would be a lot easier, right? But he doesn't do it that way because he wants to change us, and he wants to develop dependence from us upon God and putting our trust in him. So God can easily get money to you, but he can't easily get money through us. So he provides a test. Here's, here's four key truths about the tithe. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. And as a, as a, just a side, please, please, please don't go to Google about this subject. Go to God. Yeah. Go to God's word. Look up these scriptures on your own and say, Holy Spirit, these were the scriptures that were, that were spoken today. If pastor was twisting them, if he was manipulating me, reveal it to me. But I just want to read this word and let it speak to my heart. Because the word of God, not the words of Pastor Derek, should guide your decisions and your discipleship. Are you with me? But you should be in a place, if this is your home and, and I'm your pastor where you trust, I'm not doing something to mislead you. If I wouldn't mislead you on your eternity, why would I mislead you on something that relates to something like this? Amen? Ooh, he's fired up this morning. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. All right, so number one, I believe tithing still works. I believe tithing still works. Well, Pastor D, you know, I've, I've heard, I've read, somebody told me, you know, that's an old covenant thing. You know, that's, that's the, the tithe is part of the law. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. This is your excuse. This is why you bowed out. This is why you stepped back from it. Listen, can I just say something to you? Yes, it was part of the law, but it also exists outside the law. Yeah. It exists before the law, and I'm going to show you just a little bit, it exists after the law. There are some principles in God's word that may be part of the law, but they've just been there from the beginning. For example, though it's part of the law, thou shalt not kill or murder, it was wrong before the law to kill. Genesis, it shows up very early in Genesis chapter 1. We don't kill people. And by the way, after the law, it's still wrong to kill people. Turn to your neighbor and say, well, that lets you off the hook. No. <laughs> So it's still wrong. So let me show you before the law. This is so powerful. I want you to see the principle of the tithe in the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. He put man in a garden to work it and to take care of it. All the single ladies, listen to me for a second. You listening? Adam had a job before he had a wife. You letting that sink in? Okay. Love God, have a bank account. There's nothing to do with my message, but I'm just looking out for you, okay? All right. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree. So there's just all these options, opportunities, choices. That's there in the beginning, and that is there today when we're in God's system. Choices, opportunities to create wealth and be successful. He says you can eat from any tree in the garden. So God's like, I built this. I created all these resources. Here's what I want you to do, Adam. I want you to work it. I want you to steward it. I want you to manage it. I want you to grow this baby. I want you to protect this. But by the way, it's mine. It's all mine, okay? But he goes on to say, but you can't. There's one thing. Out of all of that, I just want one part of it for me. All of that, he goes, but the tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat when you eat of it. Things aren't going to go well for you. That's the message translation at the very end. That's funny. You don't know what I'm saying. But anyway, it's a paraphrase of a tough word. Okay, so what I'm trying to get you to see is the tide, the principle of the tide shows up here right in the very beginning. God is saying, you get to steward everything. You get to manage it. Uh, all of this stuff is yours. Have a ball. Run around naked. It's okay. Like he is a paradise. That was the garden. Everybody track with me. Like it was awesome. All of this is yours. You can do this. But it's all mine. But there's just one thing you have to give. You reserve for me. You can't consume it. You can't eat it. You can't take this seed and eat it. You have to. You, you can't. You can't. You can't. You, you, it's set apart. It's holy for me. All right. And if you do, it, the destruction follows. Wow. 
So this idea of the tithe shows up very, very early in the foundations of the earth. I can't take that which is his and use it for myself. Because when I do, listen, listen, when I do, I'm eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? It means I'm saying my control, decision-making power, view, outlook on money is above God's. I'm, I'm large and in charge of the resource. I know better than, than God how to handle these things. So all the way back, this principle shows up. Then, th- a couple thousand years later, skipping ahead, still pre-law, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, paraphrasing, Abraham, the father of our faith, we see him, and he, he comes uh, to, and he meets this man, Melchizedek, who's the high priest. He's, he represents God, and, 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 and Abraham tithes to him. The Bible says then Abraham gave him a tenth of what? Some of it? A portion of it? The net of it? No, he gave him a tenth of all of his increase, of everything. By the way, the tithe, the tenth, shows up before the law. I'm trying to get you to see this. It shows up really principally all the way in the Garden of Eden. It shows up in Abraham's life. Then you skip ahead uh, again two generations later. Abraham has a son. His name is Jacob. Genesis chapter 28. These are just a few excerpts pre-law, by the way. Genesis 28, Jacob says, God, if you take care of me, if you look out for everything, if you protect and provide for me, I'm going to be faithful to give you a tenth of everything. And he says, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Interesting, this number, this tenth, this 10% thing shows up before the law. So don't give me the excuse that, that it, it has to be a part of the law. It's before the law. Yeah, but that's the Old Testament, Pastor Derek. I knew you were going to say that. That's why I have this verse for you. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Are you still with me, everybody? Everybody say amen a little stronger. All right. Or oh me, whatever works for you. Matthew 23, 23 says, what sorrow awaits? He's talking to religious people now, which is sometimes how we behave when we talk about money. Well, it's not the law. It's not part of the law, you know, and it's not. It's it's Old Testament. Like we're sometimes we're like that. So Jesus is talking maybe to some of us. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees and hypocrites? For you're careful to tithe. You guys, you religious people, you, you tithe. Even the tiniest little income, you make sure you get every little penny right. I always laugh sometimes. I shouldn't say I laugh, but I, I smirk. I smile. Sometimes when I see a tithe and somebody will put in like, let's just say it's $500.62. That reveals a little bit of legalism. It's quiet in here. Because you're like, I, I do that. Well, listen. Can I just give you an idea? Round up. Just round up. What is that? Let me tell you what it is. Listen, 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 listen. It's me saying to God, what's the minimum I can do to still be okay with God? I want to make sure I just get it right. Why would we be like, how would, would you want to bless, pour your favor out upon your children when they're like, now, God, what's the minimum I can do to make sure I cover this? And he's up there going, I want to bless you so much. I've got all this stuff I want, to, I want to give to you and give through you. But you're trying to figure out what's the bare minimum that you can do. Are you tracking with me? So these, these, these Pharisees are like, even the little pennies. We're like, make sure we get it right. Oh, little herb, little thing there. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy. So God is saying to these religious people, don't be proud of your tithing perfectly. Letter of the law-like. But yet at the same time, you're not being faithful to the more important matters of, of faith and, and sharing your faith and of mercy towards people who don't have what you have and, and justice and helping people get right with God. You're missing the more important matters. You, you're not recognizing what the, that you've got to administer justice, that you've got to show people Jesus, and, and you've got to stretch your faith, and you're missing the big point. But then he goes on to say, but, yes, you should tithe. He, well, wait a minute, I thought, he's, I thought he did away with all that. No, he says, yes, you should tithe, but not neglect the more important matters. So let me ask you a question. If you had no other text in the Bible for the tithe, and Jesus, in his own words, red letter edition, said to you, you should do something, shouldn't that be good enough? Oh. If he said you ought to do it, Ought it not be good enough if Jesus, for me, this text right here is enough to just go, yep, definitely. 
So Jesus didn't come and do away with the law. No, he said, I want to make sure that you're getting the heart of the law. Tithing is, is less about the tithing action. It's more about your heart. Tithe, but make sure that you're administering justice and mercy and faith when you do it. Can I have an amen from this church? Come on, that's a good word right there. So he emphasizes the reason we do it. Now, some people, when they tithe, some people do tithe in here. Good for you. Great job. I think that's incredibly awesome. But sometimes we tithe and, and, and we might give our 10%, but we ignore those needs. We ignore those, those people who need Jesus and those, those people who are less fortunate and those people who need, and need mercy. Jesus is correcting you. So, yes, tithe, but make sure that when you do it that you're not forgetting those things in the process. Amen? But, again, church, for those of you who don't, and most of you, hear this in love. I'm a pastor. Not a, I'm not a popularist. I'm a pastor. Hear this in love. Most of you don't tithe. Okay? Try it. Listen, it, ask somebody who does. This is what I would say to you. Take the Bible out for a second. Pew, pew, push it aside. All pastors preaching. I don't know. I don't know about that. Okay. Interview somebody who does. Find somebody who's a tither. And when I say a tither, I don't mean two weeks in. Like you get a gym membership and two weeks later they're all excited. Two weeks later they're not. That's not a tither, okay? That's a fair weather friend, right? They're, they're in it for the benefits. Quick fix, lose a few pounds, and then off to the races, Rocco's Donuts. Okay, sorry, sorry. Wait, somebody's in there. My, my buddy's in the room here. Um, but you got to interview somebody who ties, and if you ask them, tell me about it. Tell me, you're never going to hear, uh, you're never going to hear something like, yep, that's how they get you. You're never going to hear, that's, oh yeah, that's the Jesus flat tax at Connect Church. That's how they make all their money. You're never going to hear that from a tither you're going to hear about story after story after story how God has given them opportunities how God has showed them how to create wealth how God has provided for them super come on somebody and provided for them supernaturally testimony after testimony after testimony got jobs and raises and promotions that doesn't even make sense that's God's system number two write this down tithing tithing breaks mammon's curse so there's a curse. What? What's this curse thing? Well, let me explain Malachi 3. It's a scripture that gets all jacked up. But, but it says this in verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? God's saying you rob me. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second, God. How do I rob you? You rob me through tithes and offerings. Because of that, you're under a curse. In fact, the whole nation is. The whole system is under a curse because of this, because you're robbing me. So what do you do? What's the solution? Bring the whole tithe, he says, into the storehouse. Everybody say storehouse. So that in the storehouse, there'll be food in that house or spiritual nourishment, okay? So let's wrestle with the scripture. The solution to all this spiritual pollution, basically God is saying to us, is you need to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And when you do, there will be food for you. So here's what God does. The tithe is how we redeem our resources. Oh, listen, listen. This is so profound. I think people miss this. See, when Jesus died for you, he redeemed you, your, your spirit, your mind and body, your soul. He redeemed you. Okay? So now you, you're free. Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. So you're free. But listen, your resources are not. He didn't die for your resources. He died for you. He didn't redeem your resources. You have to do something to redeem your resources. He died for your soul, but not your salary. Your income. You redeem. So Jesus redeemed you, but you redeem your resources with the whole tithe. This is how you, some of you are just like, whoa, okay, let it sink in. You break the spirit of mammon and control on your life. The curse is also broken on your life when you, re, when you redeem it by bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And by the way, it says bring. It's not give. When you tithe, listen, this is, this is new for some of you. You're not giving. What? I give 10%? No, no. You're, the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's just like in the garden. That's mine. This is all you get to play with. It's all mine, but I'm letting you manage this right now. All I want is that part. That's there, and then it was there in Genesis. 
uh, early and then it was later and it's still there in the law and it's there in Matthew chapter 23 and it's in your life right now. There's a part that belongs to God and you tithe and you return it. You bring it. Where do you bring it? To the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The local church. Why is it the local church? Because it's the place you get spiritual nourishment. Wherever you're fed is where you should sow. That seed where you should give or you should return that tithe. Are you with me, everybody? So you're not giving then. You, that's why it says tithe and offerings. Tithe, God's. Offerings, you get to decide. Now, you can decide and it won't corrupt you and it won't manipulate you and control you because you've already given that which is holy back to God. You broke the spirit of mammon. You broke the control when you tithe and now you have freedom with the rest of it. You could not give or you could give. It's all yours to manage. But it's under the favor and blessing of God. So you can have 100% under your management, but I would submit to you under the control of the spirit of mammon, or you can have 90% under God's control and see what he does in your life. And I am a living testimony. Many people are in this room are a living testimony of how God has blessed them. And I don't feel the pressure that people feel. I don't feel the pressure of the economic times we're in. I don't worry like other people because I'm a part of a simple system that has worked in my life for 30 years. Are you with me? God is good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It can be yours too. Number three, tithing purifies your heart. Tithing purifies your heart. See, when you tithe and you give that tithe to the storehouse, to the local church, now, why does it purify your heart? Because you've given up control. See, what some people tithe or some people give sometimes even more than 10%. But they're, they're deciding 2% here, 3% here, 5% over there. Can I just tell you, that first 10 is his, and that's why you're not breaking that spirit of control. And you're not experiencing the full blessing. But see, when we decide and when we determine, we are still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I submit to you, we're still saying, I know better what to do with my money. And when you do that, you're still under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are you with me? So we give it to the local storehouse. You say, well, that's very self-serving. You, you can think that, but I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says, not what Pastor Derek says. Are you with me? So now, tithes and offerings. Everybody say offerings. So here's where the freedom comes in. Now, we have an opportunity that we do once a year. It just so happens that's in two weeks. December 4th, we have what's called the legacy offering. The legacy offering. Now, this offering is to accelerate the vision of Connect in five specific areas. We, we pour into leadership development. We pour into church planning and church growth. We pour into educating the next generation. We pour into missions uh, local, domestic, and international. Some of our international missionaries are right here in the room right now. Can we give it up for Pastor Wendy and Deborah right here from the Dominican, all the way from the Dominican Republic that are here. These have been family with us for many, many years. But we've been pouring into that country for many years. So that's where some of this, this, these resources go. So on December 4th, I, I'm, I'm saying the same thing I've said for weeks. I'm, just, I'm not asking you for money. I'm just sharing vision. I'm asking you to talk to God about whether you should participate in this offering and just do whatever he says. Simple. Talk to God, do what he says. Here's my, here's my belief, here's my conviction. If you talk to God, many of you he's going to tell you, yeah, you should participate in that because God is a generous God and he, and he wants to bless you. And when you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And when you sow generously, you reap generously. And this is good soil. One of the best investments you can make, this, this side of heaven is the local church. Better than any investment you have in the market right now, the best investment with the highest return is the local church because it's the only thing that's investing in eternal things, which is people. Ten people said amen. Thank you for that rousing applause. I'll tell you this. We have people in this room right now that are giving, uh, that we call them the legacy team. So there's another group of people that have identified their spiritual gift isn't singing on the stage or preaching or working with the kids or or hospitality, their gift is actually giving. We have a group of people, 60 people who say, this is my gift to give. And they have given $100,000 already to the legacy offering. Amen? Excuse me, $120,000 already to the legacy offering. So I'm believing for much more in Jesus' name, but God's going to do that. So we're never under pressure. We're never under pressure when we're trusting God with our finances. Amen? So here, write, write this down. Last point, and because there's so much I want to say, tithing builds your faith. Tithing builds your faith. 
This is where, this is where priorities get in line when you tithe. It's, it's hard to not, it's one thing we sometimes say, I believe in something, but we should reorder our lives to reflect what we say we believe. The simplest way to, re, to reorder your life, to reflect that you trust God with your resources is to begin to tithe, is to be a tither. I'll, this, I won't teach this for the rest, the rest of the year. I won't teach this until next year. So I need you to tune in with me right now because this is, you're going to eat this good food right now. But tithing prioritizes your life. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 14, 23. It says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in the first place in your life. So how does God build my faith? God builds my faith by doing it first. It, it always requires faith to do something first, not last. See, some, here's, here's a secret, secret sauce coming in right now. When you give last, you're giving leftovers to God. How do you think God feels about that? I'm going to pay all these things, and then I'm going to give to God. I'm just, I, want to, I, want to ask you, I want to ask you to consider something in this simple system. When you tithe, he's first. He's first. So what are you saying, Pastor? You're saying before the mortgage, before my car payment, before, before me? Yes, absolutely. The first, the first check that I write every single month, my wife and I write every single month, is to the local storehouse. It's our tithe. We've been doing it for years and years and years. Here's the thing. The mortgage company doesn't have the power to bless your finances. The, the, the car company does not have the power to bless your finances. The only person that has the power to bless your finances is God. And whatever you do first always requires faith, and God will always respond to faith. He responds to faith. He sees your faith. He's moved by your faith. So when I get paid, I say, God, you're first in my life. He's first in my finances. He's first in my interests. He's first in my relationships. He's first in my schedule. He's first in my troubles. A lot of people have no problem with those areas, but they have problem with finances, putting him first. If you put God first in your finance, watch what he does. Test him. Just try him out. Is God first in your life? It should be reflected in what you do first, because what you do first has the power to bless the rest. Watch it. Just start doing it. Just see, I'm going to do this first before anything else. First of all, you'll begin to reorder your finances because you have to be a good steward if you're going to tithe. And as you begin to tithe, he's going to see, wait a second, he's putting me first above everything else. And by the way, God can't accept anything less than first place. He will not accept anything less than first place. So you can't get blessed until he's first. <laughs> so test him. Everybody say, I'm going to receive the test. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know the big check that I, that I would write if I did that. Okay, well, I'll pray for God to reduce your income to proportion it to your faith. Is that, is that, 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 that how we want to go about this? I don't care how big your check is. It's just a test. It's a test, everybody. God said, test me. Malachi 3.10, test me in this. God tested Pharaoh 10 times. He tested Israel 10 times in the desert. He tested our hearts 10 times through the law. He tested Daniel 10 times. Jacob's wages were tested 10 times. Take the test. Trust him. Look what happened for them. Look what can happen for you. Here's what happens. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. When you put God first, you literally have so much you don't know what to do with it all. And you want to give it away freely because God has given you so much. And then he personally gets involved and he prevents the devourer from taking anything from you, your cars from breaking down and, you know, things from going wrong in your life and, and, and protecting your investments. He gets involved in that and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. I personally am tired of the world looking at the church as broke. My daddy's not broke. He owns this place. The earth is the Lord's. He owns it all. He put gold on the streets in heaven. He sees gold like dirt. It's not about money to him. He's incredibly wealthy. It's about you, and it's about me, and it's about our hearts. You don't need more money. You need to trust God with the tithe and watch what he does with your money. Can I have an amen? Stand on your feet. Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just being still as the worship team comes. During the Crusades, uh, when people would give and surrender to God, they were 
called to surrender to God, one of the activities was they would be baptized. They had to be baptized. And when they were baptized, many of the soldiers would go down into the water, their whole bodies, their soul would go underwater, but their sword would stay out of the water. I think that's a sign. It's, it's, it's a picture of what many of us have done in our relationship with God. Our soul has been surrendered to God, but our sword or our finances have not. With every head bowed, every eye closed, have you fully surrendered your resources to God? Test me, he says. All over the Bible, he says, don't test the Lord, don't test the Lord, don't test the Lord. But in this one area, isn't it ironic that he says, test me. Test me here. You can test me. Try it. I double dog dare you to try me in this particular area. And I just believe the Spirit of God is speaking to some in this room. Go, go, before, you, before the new year, before a new year resolution, right now, today, make a decision in your heart. I am going to fully surrender. I'm putting my sword under the water. I'm putting my resources under the water. With every head bowed, every close. If you know that's you today and God is speaking to you, I just want you to be bold and just say, that's me. Raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm, I'm fully surrendering my resources to God. Today's my day. Fully, fully surrendering. You're breaking the spirit of mammon. Just by raising your hand, you're breaking the spirit of mammon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Good job, good job. You can put your hands down. Now, maybe you're here today, and there's always a connection between your heart and your money. But God's just been doing something in your heart. You realize, you know what? He's not first in my life. And for you to put him first in your finances, he has to be first in your life. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ today? Have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus? You know that if you drew your last breath today, to be absent from the body, you'd be present with the Lord. If that's you today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you. Tonight we have a water baptism. Tonight is a day where you can go public with your faith. And one of the best things you can do is make a decision and then declare it publicly. I'm encouraging you to come tonight, surrender your life to Jesus, and choose to be water baptized. I'm, I'm giving you an extra step tonight. I'm saying if you really mean it, don't just make a quick decision here tonight and then walk out of the room with no change. If you really want to surrender your life to Jesus, make a decision right now. I'm coming back tonight. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus, and I'm going to be water baptized. I believe tonight can be one of the most powerful water baptisms we had in the history of our church, but you need to respond to his word. And if you know that's you, today is the day of salvation for you. Father, for every person who heard this word, seal it. Seal it on their hearts. Give them the action steps that they need. Help them to take that test, that accept that challenge and that test. Father, for the one that the Lord has provoked them to commit their life to Jesus, may they come back tonight and not miss an opportunity to go public in their faith because this will be the biggest decision they ever made. Their eternity is in your hands, God, and we're committing to you that today is the day of salvation for me. Come on, church. Let's all give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. We know many people are going to be changed tonight. God bless you. God bless you.